absolutely. It depends on the uh, COR of the flagstick, so the Coefficient Restitution flagstick. In U.S. Opens, I'll take it out, and uh, every other tour event, when it's uh, fiberglass, I'll leave it in and bounce that ball against the flagstick if I need to. Welcome back, podcast patrons, to another episode of Leave the Pin Podcast. Super excited tonight to talk to New York Best Time, New York Times bestselling author, traveler, podcaster, professor, and uh, the one person whose job you probably wish you had, and that's Mr. Tom Coyne. Tom, what's the good word? Hey, Dan, what's happening? I make it look glorious, but it's it's a grind, man. You wouldn't want to trade places with me. It's a, <laughs> it's a hard lonely road of the golf wanderer no it's great i'm 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 very blessed and uh feel super fortunate so thanks for having me on i really appreciate it yeah no this has uh been in the works for a while I'm a big fan of all the books that you've done and am eagerly awaiting a course called america and i'm sure like most people that listen to this pod, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure i'm sure <laughs> yeah. um you know, I'm sure like most people that listen to this pod and listen to you on the Golfer's Journal or follow you on YouTube or on Instagram, um, a lot of people are probably wondering what the status of that book is after having such success with Paper Tiger, a course called Scotland, Ireland. So what kind of updates can you give us on a course called America? Yeah, I can get, I can tell you uh, as of today, 78 pages. It's 78 pages big. It's like a child gaining pounds. Um, so no, I'm I'm. It's it's been pretty positive actually. It's been great, you know, with Scotland and and Ireland. I think there was a much longer gap between me finishing the travels and writing the books, um, where I, I sort of put them down for a while and and just sort of let them marinate and see what the stories were going to be about and. With this one, I was compelled to kind of jump in pretty quickly. I, I got done the trip just before Christmas, you know, where I'd been on the road for essentially eight months going to all 50 states and, and playing. I, I still haven't added it up. I know it's more than 250, but I don't know how much more it is than that, um, that many courses. And then started, you know, writing the book in January. So so it's been it's been great. I mean, there's a lot of research not only that I did out on the road in my travels, but, you know, I'm sort of telling, also sort of trying to tell a little bit of the story of golf in America, and, and that's required a pretty healthy amount of, of reading and research here. So the status is my office is a mess, and it's covered in um, very heavy golf history books. And um, also the books that courses, they're like anniversary books that courses give you. Because that was one of the things on the road that, unfortunately, I collected just because they were so heavy. Um, you know, it was it was really nice of the clubs to, to, if they had, you know, a centenary book or something like that, to, to give me one. Obviously, they're, they're super helpful for my, for my research. Um, but when I was on the legs where I was, had flown in or out, um, you know, I'd had to have like a hundred pounds of books that, that I'd have to get, get home somehow. Uh, but they did arrive. They're here. They're, they're on my coffee table over there. And, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much through the, the reading and research phase and I'm, I'm moving through the, the chapters. Um, and it's been, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's the biggest story I've ever done. Um, just in terms of the scope of it, because in simplest terms, America's much bigger, right? 
Um, so there's there's a lot to cover. Uh, but I've you know you get to that. It's very overwhelming to look at the blank page and say, where's the book? What's the book? I've got all this stuff in my head or all this stuff in my journal. When I was on the road, I, I, I probably have 500 pages worth of notes. And it's like, what do I do with all this? Oh my God, how do I turn it into a story? And then you, you relax and you remember, one, that you've done this before, and two, that the stories that make it into the book are the stories that are still with you in your memory. Um, and, and so you don't have to go you don't have to go make it up or, or force it. You know, the stories are all there. I don't have to tell the story of every single golf course I visited. I don't have to tell the story of every single person I met. Thankfully, I played so many or met so many people um, that there are a lot of great stories that I will be able to share. So that's uh, that's what we're working on right now. And I'm, I'm in a good routine. I'm back. It's like going to the gym, writing. You know, if you, I need to be writing every single day, even if it's just, for a couple hours um if i get out of that routine it's it's very hard to uh not very hard but it's 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 harder to get back so uh i'm in i'm in the thick of it so with so many courses that you played in the u.s how do you determine how do you decide what courses and and what stories go into the book what gets left on the cutting room floor and do you ever go back after the book's published and just say like oh i I wish I would have included that one because uh, this guy emailed me and, and then I remembered, you know, playing that round or that hole with him. How, how does all that come about? Yeah, with the uh, with Ireland and Scotland, um, Ireland was a long trip, but I only visited there were only, you know, six, maybe 60 links courses in Ireland or seaside courses or whatever you want to call them. Um, so that was actually somewhat tidy scotland was a little less tidy i mean i was over 100 courses um and but even you know within the scope of a 400 page book you can still you don't you don't have to leave any out i mean this will be a book where i definitely have to leave courses out where you won't maybe not know the that i was there until you know you see the the sort of final course list in the back um and and in the past you know i i haven't really had that experience where i've regretted anything not making it into the book like where i wish i'd gone back and put something in just because if something if you know when you're like you know when you're staring at all the blank pages that you're you're eager for the stories that you feel like you have to tell and they don't get lost you know they're they get down on paper first and um so the stuff that i i really wanted to tell that you know that all gets in there i mean there's once in a while, I'll get an email from someone saying, hey, you didn't mention that we played together or uh, in the Scotland book, like I, I didn't, my wife's family visited me in St. Andrews, but I only wrote about the week that my dad was there just because it didn't make sort of narrative sense to redo another week in St. Andrews. You know, I'd, I'd been there in the book already. And uh, so that was one that I, that was actually just awkward for me personally <laughs> like you know at christmas we're like uh you know you didn't put my family in the book husband um so but you know that's that's my own stuff to deal with so um no actually they were super cool about it but little stuff like that those and those are just choices that you have to make for the sake of the narrative you know not everything's going to get into the story things might move around a little bit in in time or placement um to you know sort of make things uh, you know, work well or, or smoothly for the reader. Um, and, 
you know, unless, and so sometimes people who were there, um, and, and don't make it into the, into the story, it's always a bummer. Um, but I think if they, you know, if they read the finished product, they would sort of understand why. Yeah. I mean, it, obviously you've got to cut some things you can't, I'm, I'm assuming the publishing company's not going to pay for a thousand, you know, page tomb that you're going to, uh, put out there. But, um, one of the things that I'm super curious about is you mentioned papers all over the office and the desk and the place kind of a, you know, a mess, if you will. How many pages of documentation, how many pictures go into creating one of these travel books, these golf travel books, you know, to kind of keep your memory fresh months or even a year after you're done with the travels? What's what's that like when you're on the road? Are you constantly writing stuff down? And I guess what I'm referring to more specifically, the towns of Ireland, the the, the counties in Scotland and stuff that you go through. I read the names and I say, oh, that's an interesting name. And then I forget about it within three, four pages because I'm on to whatever the next thing that you're doing. But for you, those are super important details that need to be a correct right for all the people that live there and and b for all the people that have right. played there before so how much how much work goes into it like in your day-to-day process of being out there you writing stuff down every day you taking hundreds of pictures a day how's that like sort of yeah no but you're right i mean you have to get it right the details especially about places locations the way things look because p- People, you know, I'm writing nonfiction. There are, are real people in these stories and real places where people live. So it's it'd be quite embarrassing to completely get something wrong. I mean, and the best compliments I, I get are when someone from Ireland reads the Ireland book or Scott reads the Scotland book and says, you, you know, wow, you, you really got this right. Um, that's incredibly gratifying because you know there's a lot of work that goes into getting it right like you alluded to i mean for me the process is yeah a ton of pictures um that has been i guess when i did ireland um i was taking i mean i was taking i took a ton of pictures but i had like a big bulky camera um and now you know iphones have gotten so good that or smartphones you know we don't have to be brand specific um (laughs) they've gotten so good that it just enabled me in the scotland book and certainly in america to visually capture just everything right so clubhouse what the clubhouse looked like what the clubhouse sign looked like any interesting details i don't photograph every hole but you know why because i'm not going to write about every hole i mean that's a boring book um but you know holes that okay this is i want to remember this or you know i've done this for a while so I I do kind of have that I suppose I've developed an instinct for knowing this could be part of the story or this could be part of the book so grab it right so a lot of photography um, and in terms of notes I would write uh, Scotland and Ireland I wrote every evening or whenever I got done you know handwritten notes in a journal Scotland I was keeping them my notes on a journal on a laptop Um, with America it was a little different because I'd have these long drives um, between course or course to course or state to state. And, and just, there was so much time on the road and um, about a weekend I figured I'm like, I, I could be way more productive with this. So I started dictating my notes uh, just right into my phone and then downloading those and they would and popping them into, into the document. So 
Um, that was super helpful. They're a little tricky to decipher because, uh, you know, voice to text isn't absolutely perfect. So sometimes looking at my notes, I'm like, what the hell was I saying here? Um, <laughs> which, which is okay. Usually it's enough to spark my memory. And I recall, I don't need a ton to put me back in the day. And, and that's the thing. I think that's the thing about traveling. I mean, if you're reading the book and you're hearing about places or people, they would, yeah, be easy to, easy to forget when you're going around Ireland and taking it at that slow pace of, you know, where I was actually walking it or, or, or taking, you know, two months in Scotland or eight months around America. And, um, I mean, I'm moving quickly yet. I'm not as, as well, you know, it's, it's, it's a long trip. So when you're moving at that pace, the memories are vivid, you know, that's the great thing about travel. Like when I'm at home, I, I cannot tell you what we had for dinner tonight. Right. Um, well, I can, we had pizza. But, you know, last night I can't. So um, but I can I can recall all the meals still or what the bed and breakfast look like or what the hotels look like in, in Ireland, you know, and that's the that's the great thing about travel, because I think your sense, your awareness, your curiosity, your sensitivity is is elevated because it's all new and and the, and the memories sort of imprint in a more vivid way. And, and that's that does still amaze me because I, sometimes I feel like, uh, you know, you, you forget something and you're like, I'm losing it. Um, yet I can remember what breakfast looked like at that bed and breakfast in Donegal and like what the woman was wearing, you know, like that, that's crazy. Uh, but that's one of the gifts and, and rewards of travel, I suppose. Yeah. And I think, I think the game lends itself to that too. I mean, how many times after a round has someone asked you, you know, what you shot and you literally could tell them every single stroke on every hole and every club and the distances, you know, it's, it's one of those things that's kind of burned into your mind's eye. I mean, I can go back a decade plus for certain rounds and I could tell you what I hit into certain greens. I mean that, you know, and like you said, the mundane of everyday life, um, you know, what time did you pick your kid up from practice the other night? Um, I, I, I don't recall, you know, I think it was five. It could have been quarter to six or so. What club did you hit on the 13th hole, you know, of, uh, the par three that was downhill 15 years ago in the club championship. Oh, easy. That was a six iron. You yeah, know? <laughs> exactly. Should have been a seven. Yeah, exactly. Right. I went over the green. Um, so when you, when you're planning, I remember, I, I know one of the things were in Ireland and if we can just kind of I guess progress book by book when you were in Ireland and doing the travel stuff you had an actual map at the time right mm -hmm. I did yeah, right I, so I, I was yeah old old school right I, GPS wasn't uh you know as as widespread um coverage satellites are not as as good at the at the time there do you ever you ever miss that you ever look back upon it fondly or is it just so much easier nowadays having GPS, you know, for especially like yeah. in America, you know, where you were driving so much? That Yeah, it's tough. I mean, there's there was something wonderful and romantic about having just this I had this like waterproof map of Ireland roadmap of Ireland that I could just fold up and kept in my back pocket. And it was like and it was my Bible. You know, it was my lifeblood I, I i looked at it you know a hundred times a day and and it just became sort of like soft and worn and i still have it somewhere and and, and that was that was pretty cool because when you're living and, and traveling like that there's so many unexpected things around the corner 
you can get lost in, in bad ways, but you can get lost in, in very good ways as well. You know, it's not all sort of planned out and it doesn't all sort of fit into the itinerary and it doesn't always make sense. And certainly technology has allowed me as like a, a trip planner to be way more organized, to be much more deliberate in where I'm going. And, and you know, I can be a much more point A to point B. Um, and so, you know, there's pluses to mine and, and minuses to that that I'm more organized, I go to a lot more places um, and see a lot more things. Um, sometimes you miss out, I sp miss out, I suppose, on some of the happy accidents. But I think any sort of travel, no matter how organized you are, has a lot of accidents, a lot of happy accidents and not so happy accidents. And there's, there's, there's a lot of them in this book, even with the help of GPS, you know, because you still don't know I know where I'm going, but I have no idea what the hell is going to be there when I when I when I do get there. And uh, so, I was pretty grateful. This trip was, you know, Scotland would have been tough to do with just a map. This trip would have been impossible um, to do it to do the miles I did in the time that I did. So, yeah, it was technologically enabled. I was, and I, and I needed to be. What uh, what good wrong turns if you will uh were made during the ireland trip that you can recall yeah there were i mean so i remember being up in in donegal with um my brother-in-law and we had like a we had like an 18 mile walk up to the next course and we were a few miles into it on some back road and we saw a sign just that just was an arrow pointing to golf course and there was no golf course on my map. And, you know, we were along the coast. So I'm like, well, I'm playing every Lynx course. Maybe this is a Lynx or it's Seaside. Or who knows? So we just started walking down a path and walked for a while and kind of saw some short green grass. And nobody, there was a little clubhouse. Nobody was there. Kind of helped ourselves inside. We found a scorecard, went out and played and, and just had this incredible time at this place called Otway which um, is a nine-holer up in Donegal that is just so very out of the way and incredibly unique. It really, nine holes packed into space for about three golf holes. Uh, so you kind of crisscross holes and hit crazy shots and you, you hit blind shots over hills. It was, we were like kind of lost out there at the same time and we're playing past, you know, old grave markers and all this incredible cool history. And, and it was just, you know, and that was completely accidental, you know. Um, now, if I had my GPS, I'd, I'd look at it on my satellite and say, oh, it's a golf course. Let's go check it out. Um, but it was great that, that we did. That was a, an awesome place. And, and it's put me in a, in a small, every once in a while, I'll find, very rarely will I find someone else who's ever played Otway. And uh, it's, it's a small brotherhood for sure. One of the things that struck me so much about uh, a course called Ireland was the kind of bands of ravenous dogs that were everywhere um it seemed like every other <laughs> chapter you know you were being stalked hunted down right. you know, know. chased <laughs> um well but by these yeah. by these dogs there uh um, it was an un <laughs> it was an unexpected hazard for sure and that was certainly you know when you sit down to write the book you, you definitely the most dangerous bits uh you know are going to be in the story and and the most fearful bits are the times when you were most uh, afraid you know when the when the stakes were high and a lot of those to my surprise 
ended up having to do with dogs. And the book actually starts with one of those episodes where the scariest one. And I guess, you know, it's because I'm walking, I'm on these backcountry roads. And so in Ireland, like, they don't have rabies. So dogs don't get vaccinated or necessarily go to the vet. Like, you know, my dog goes to the doctor more than I do. He's got his checkups and he's got this, he's got to get checked for his worms and all this stuff, you know. Um, my my sense is that like farmers in Ireland would have dogs and, and it would let them be dogs. And like sometimes those dogs would go off and have their own lives and, and, and they never see them again. Or sometimes they'd come back, you know. So, so it was a, lot, a, lot, a much more laissez-faire kind of dog ownership was my was was I think where some of these beasts came from that had been living out in the woods um, and were much and were probably more wolf than than dog. So I, I would come across those because I was walking on roads where people didn't walk and and they probably hadn't seen a person. All they saw was cars, um, and and rarely at that because they were they were like a lot of backcountry roads or then just like the little nippy dogs that that everyone had in their front yard that wanted to come up and take a piece out of your leg. Um, they were. Uh, there was a whole variety of, of canine menace out there. And, uh, yeah, I didn't see that coming, <laughs> but, and I'm a dog guy too. So it was, uh, that was quite disheartening that they were set against my, uh, my ambitions and my mission to, to walk around Ireland. And that's not in any of the, the travel guides that you're going to find about Ireland anywhere. You only get that good <laughs> stuff from a course called Ireland available wherever you buy books now obviously walking through the the country um you know has its own perils uh for health safety etc etc um can you recall any other dangerous situations that that you were put in because you know it was funny to me uh, towards and and it's been a, a while so forgive me but towards the end of the book i remember a comment along the lines of so many people kind of asking you you know, let me call a taxi for you. There's a bus. Here's the bus stop coordinates, you know, yeah. here's the number for the taxi. And then you kind of remarking, like, imagine if they saw the people in the U.S. and how kind of car dependent we've become. And I'm a big health and fitness guy. It's what I do for a living. So, you know, like, like that hit me near and dear to my heart. Um, how difficult was it from a physical aspect? Forget the golf and everything. And even the mental of trying to, I guess, kind of keep yourself up every day. But from a physical aspect, how how difficult was it traversing the the countryside by foot? Because I think for the people maybe that are new to Tom Coyne and maybe haven't read the books, Tom's not lying. Like he actually walked the entire, you know, side of Ireland there. So literally by foot for for would you say ninety nine percent of the of the time, correct? Yeah, uh, it was 11, I had a pedometer, um, and it all, at the end of the day, it ended up, added up to 1,100 miles on foot um, that I walked, and yeah, I walked the perimeter of Ireland, I took transportation into and out of Belfast and Dublin, uh, at being major metropolitan areas, um, and having just a map that showed me a highway, how to get into the, into the, into the city, I, I didn't think that walking on on toll roads was was the best strategy so um that yeah so i mean yeah 99 or whatever percent was um was on foot and physically it was it was brutal um it was really brutal i i, I was gonna get in shape to do it and then i realized like you know what i'm gonna get in shape anyway 
So <laughs> why punish my, it's going to suck either way. So why punish myself now? So the first couple of weeks were pretty excruciating. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, the soreness, because not only is it the walking in my legs, but I'm carrying, I have a backpack with golf clubs strapped to it. So I'm, I'm, I'm huffing that, you know, huffing that the whole way too. So, um, that, you know, it's like the walk and then add 35 pounds to yourself. And, and, and so it was, you know, the bag start got, did get lighter as the trip went on. When I would just get too tired, I would just take a club out of my bag and throw it into the, into the weeds. Um, just cause it's like, dude, I don't need a seven iron. I'll hit a six iron. It's fine. Uh, it's just too heavy. Um, and it was, you know, it was tough. And then my body started to sort of change and adapt. You know, my shoulders got used to the, to the bag, um, got stronger, lost a lot of weight, lost about 30 pounds. Um, even though I was eating and drinking like an idiot, uh, still managed to, to lose a lot of weight, which, which made the walk easier. And honestly, when I finished, I was probably in the best shape of my life. And that was, I, I knew I would get fit doing it, but, um, I didn't know that, you know, coming back from Ireland, I wouldn't even look like the guy who had left to go there. And, uh, damn, I should have stayed in that shape. I totally blew it. It was my chance, uh, a redemption. Do you think you were in so, better shape then as opposed to when you were, you know, kind of prepping for the tour qualifying school in Paper Tiger? Uh, that's, that's a good point. I mean, because I, when I did Paper Tiger, I had a, a physical therapist and trainer, you know, working with me. And um, I would say there were the, the thing with Paper Tiger, like there were periods of like when I was living in Florida the first six months of the trip, like there was really intense focus on my physical condition and, you know, being in the gym every day and stuff like that. I mean, I was, yeah, I was pretty fit then too. My cardio health might not have been as, I wasn't doing a lot of like running or distance or anything. Right. Um, so, um, I was, I was probably, that's the most golf fit I've ever been for sure. Um, but then, you know, you go off, then I spent the rest of the book going around the world, like playing golf um, flying and riding in carts or whatever. So I, pro I probably didn't finish that book in the shape that I finished, you know, the Ireland trip in, um, because that just kept the miles just kept on coming. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so moving on from Ireland to Scotland, Ireland seemed more of, I know it was hectic, I'm sure at the time, but as far as a reader's perspective and number of courses you played, um, you know, much more low key than when you went to Scotland and played, uh, correct me if I'm wrong again with the numbers, but it's like 107 courses in 56 days or a hundred and some odd co courses. Yeah. In 50, right. Is that right? About? Yeah. 107 courses. So it was, uh, I think 111 rounds in 57 days. Okay. All right. Um, and yeah, and we at a, at 107 different courses. So that, yeah, it was, they were very different trips. Um, Ireland was more about can I just, can I, can it be done? Right. You know, can I cross the finish line? Can, can I walk the whole of Ireland and play every seaside golf hole that got in my way? And, you know, can I play this country as one giant golf course? And then the, the ambition to Scotland was, was, was different. You know, I wanted to play relinks in Scotland, but I also wanted to play well, like the scores in the Scotland book actually matter. I'm, I'm looking for 
something in Scotland. You know, I'm looking for the secret to golf. I'm looking for answers to my game, you know, in the home of golf. And then I'm putting them, you know, to a test and, and a qualifier for the Open Championship. So I have that gave me like a hard finish closing date, which gave me a tighter window of time. And then as the as the list of courses just kept growing and growing, of you got to go here, you got to go there, you got to go here. Um, the, the, the schedule just got insane. And, you know, working that out on a calendar, you know, where I'm like squeezing three 18 hole rounds into one day, 54 holes a day. I did that like five days in a row once, um, three rounds a day walking always. And, uh, so that was, that was bonkers. Um, and, and, you know, you think like, is that the best way to prepare to play your best golf? I don't know, but I didn't want to miss, I didn't want to leave any stone unturned. You know, I wanted to, I couldn't bear to cross any course off the list because it was sort of like, well, what, what if that's where my breakthrough is? What if that's where I meet the guy who tells me the thing that figures it out, that unlocks golf, you know? And that's what the trip was about. So I, I was going everywhere and anywhere. And uh, it was nuts. Um, it was just so much golf. And that that's another trip where I started off and, poor to bad shape and quickly um you know about took me about two weeks to to get my my legs under me but i was you know and i was a little older then as well so um i would wake up and i just couldn't like wouldn't be able to move you know because i would have just played 54 holes the day before and it's raining out and blowing sideways and i'm playing 54 again and it's like that was hard that I don't ever want anyone to feel badly for me or to throw a pity party. I'm the luckiest golfer in the world. Um, but it's not all rainbows and unicorns, I guess is one way to think about it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's physically and mentally taxing when your body is killing you, you look out the window, it's, you know, pissing sideways out and you know, 35, 40 degrees, and you got to get out there for for three more rounds, but I think that speaks to the addictive nature of the game, which which you know has grabbed a hold of so many of us over the course of our lives. Oh, totally, dude. It's 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 not healthy. I mean, it, you know, and, and it's hard to explain. It's it's hard to explain to people who don't play, but then it's not hard to explain because everyone's got something that they're unreasonable about, right? Um, it's not golf for everybody. Um, and sometimes they're healthy pursuits. Sometimes they're not healthy pursuits, but there's something out there that makes us feel like ourselves and we'll go to any length to experience that again and again. And that's what golf is for me, you know, and it, it's, it's how I kind of know who I am. Um, part of me, you know, I, I suppose there's other parts yet to evolve, but, um, you know, and, and the obsession part of it is you know golf is a great game for making you think that you've got it figured out you know and that's that's really what paper tiger was about trying to figure out okay i can hit one good shot why can't i hit two if i can hit three why can't i hit four? you know why can't i hit 65 good golf shots right you know that maddening search for that consistency like it golf tricks you into thinking you're better than you are and I, it's like well haven't i learned yet well no, I'm going to keep chasing it. I'm going to keep chasing my rabbit. I'm going to keep chasing my perfect round because, you know, 
And I almost hope I don't find it. Because it's like, you know, when the Greyhound does get the rabbit, they'll never run again. And I enjoy the chase. And, uh, you know, it's like once I've played my perfect round or figured out golf, it's like, fine, put me in a box. I'm good, you know. Um, well, I want to stick around for my kids and stuff, too. But And, and that's, that's never going to happen anyway because golf isn't the sort of thing that you do ever really figure out. You're always learning. And it's always challenging you in new ways. So it's amazing sometimes when you think about it that it doesn't ever get old all this golf people are like don't you get sick of playing golf i'm like no I, I you know the mornings sometimes are rough but when you get me to a first tee and there's the possibility that i could birdie this hole and then the next hole and then what about the next like that is always interesting to me and tantalizing too yeah it's those infinite possibilities it's funny that you mentioned that we had uh patrick koenig on the pod a few episodes back and we talked about you dj um, in the house yeah exactly because I'm, I'm and, and and i must say because i promised him i would that he said he really hopes that he makes it into a course called america he said i'm not sure i will he said but i did play with him during it just so we all know and i said okay well so i'll mention that to I tom <laughs> when he comes he on did. But, and he made me do push-ups. I don't know if he yes. told you that part of the story. Yep. Probably. Yep. I'm sure he did. Actually, that's his favorite thing to talk about. Um, but, you know, yeah. No. That, that'll make it in the book. He mentioned the same thing. He mentioned yeah. the the same exact idea or concept of of kind of like chasing that dragon, if you will. And, yeah. you know, I guess almost like a junkie, but obviously in in more productive life terms. You know, we all do that, knowing, like you said, we'll never ever catch it because i could go out and shoot 59 but that 59 is not perfect exactly. i could go there would have you been know i could putt. go and, yeah right I, I could say well you know what I, I fanned that wedge on the 18th hole a little bit i really should have had a birdie putt instead of you know having to lag it up close so you'll you'll never get to the point where you say the round is perfect the round might have been good but it's never going to be perfect no and that's okay, you know, but there's, but it's funny within the round, there are those moments where it, it can feel perfect. Like there's a glimpse of it or that just that sensation, that one shot. And, and it just is, you know, where you just kind of feel the magic of the fact that you just took like an iron stick and made a ball do something really, really beautiful, you know, and that makes just makes you want it even more. Well, that's what keeps people coming back all the time. You know, you always hear new golfers, they may go out and shoot 150, but it's that one shot that they struck like a tour pro that the next time they come back and play, they're going to remember that and they're going to try to duplicate that. And then you try to build upon that. Exactly. That's what, that's what we do. So we'll move now. We, we talked about Ireland, we talked about Scotland. Uh, you know, the big one, which, and, and again, when I was reading those books back in the day, my mind always wandered to why hasn't anyone done the U.S.? And so my, my first question is this. I'm always curious. Were you, how, how far back were you thinking about doing the America trip? It had probably been, uh, we definitely thought about it before, the Scotland book, you know, cause, cause I did the Ireland book. Um, then there was a long sort of gap in between where I was working on some other stuff and wasn't sure what the next book was going to be. And a lot of stuff was going on in my life. And, you know, um, 
during that time as I was kicking around ideas for a long time and then spent, uh, got signed up at Simon and Schuster with a new editor and we spent some time kicking around ideas for a new book. And we talked about America. We talked about Scotland. Um, it made sense. You know, it's always like, what do you feel like you're compelled that you have to do right now? Um, because if you don't have that sort of drive or interest or that feeling of, I have to do this, then you're not going to make it. You know, there's just too much time and too much investment in it. You have to really feel like you have to do it. And at that point in my life, it was like Scotland, you know, I'm this Lynx loving golfer and I've really played almost nothing in Scotland. So I had, to, I had to do Scotland. And, and so, but America at that point was definitely on the radar. Um, and then after doing the Scotland book, it didn't take hardly any time at all to, to, to know that, you know, it was next was America because, well, one, I'm here. And two, um, you know, I knew golf in Ireland and Scotland. And frankly, I knew those countries better than I knew my own um, from a golf perspective or even just from a cultural perspective. You know, like I'd put time into researching and getting to know the culture and the accents of, of every town or county, whatever, so I could write about it. Well, I'd never made that much effort in my own country, right? I could tell you all about golf in Philadelphia, and I can tell you about um, everything here in the five counties around Philadelphia, but I can't tell you a damn thing about what life was like in New Mexico or Colorado. or And I'm, that's not unique. I mean, that's it's a huge country. Um, but, you know, as our country, you know, the, the book was sort of... I was, th I think of it as the search for the great American golf course. And, you know, so I have to figure out what a great golf course is. And that's sort of the golfy part of the book. And then the other, maybe more interesting part of the story for me personally is, is figuring out what American means. And in, in 2019, right. During this really interesting time in our country, um, to figure out to rather than sit on the couch in Philadelphia and think that I know what life is like in all these different places or reduce, you know, someone to a political party or a vote because of the state that they live in, well, go see it, you know? Um, it was, so it was a chance for me to sort of not be lazy as a, as a, as a thinker, I guess, and as a writer. And, uh, and that's where that drive came. Like, I have to do this. Like, I really, I need to do this. I need to understand what's going on in my country. I need to get to meet the people in my country. And, uh, you know, that's what I did. Were you ever worried while you were doing Scotland before you did a course called America? Were you ever worried that someone else would would come up, you know, with that idea and and, and put a book out before you at all? You know, I I don't really look around too much at what other people are doing or um, what uh, you know it's. I, I don't worry about that because my approach to it um, is going to be my approach to it. You know, um, I, hopefully my voice and angle on golf is unique enough that, that I could write about the same subject that someone else is and, and do it in an interesting way. You know, I mean, there's a lot of books about golf in Ireland. There's a lot of books about golf in Scotland. And it was funny when I was doing the Ireland book, um, there was a guy who I heard, you know, I'm, I'm out there like killing myself, walking all the way around Ireland to play every links in Ireland. And as I'm going around, everyone's like, Hey, have you met Kevin? You know, who's, who's Kevin? And, and Kevin Markham was another writer who at the same exact time 
was going around Ireland in a camper van playing every golf course. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, I'm out there killing myself. And, and here's a guy writing, you know, the same book. And, and I, it worried me for a little bit and, and whatever. But I went on with it and I wrote my story. And, and it turns out that, you know, it's a big world out there with a lot of people who, who can buy books. And, and my book was, was mostly for the U.S. market. Kevin's book was more for, for the Irish market. And um, we're, we're actually really, really good friends now. Uh, we never met up on that trip, but we've met up a bunch since and uh, try to support each other you know, whenever we can. He's an, an awesome guy. So um, I don't feel I, – I guess there are writers who can get competitive about certain things or – proprietary um i'm i'm not one of them really i think the bookshelves are big enough and um you know and there have been lots of books about golf in america that have been written and um and uh and and that's and that's great uh but mine's going to be different because it's it's a first person narrative and a memoir of my adventures so yeah, I mean, from a marketing point of view, it would be a drag if someone came out and had done the exact same thing and it was coming out during the same season, et cetera. But um, that's not, wasn't probably going to happen. Publishing's a small world. People know who bought what and when it's coming out. And um, usually those situations can be avoided. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I don't know much about the writing world at all, but obviously I know a ton about the golf world and one of the things that always strikes me as such a positive within the golf community is how supportive people are of others doing the same type of medium whether it's writing whether it's uh you know being on youtube doing interviews doing podcasting and, and like you said there are so many people out there and so many eyes that can consume your product i think you you could make yourself grow crazy and just go mad if you were you know worrying about what everyone else is doing out there and that takes the focus away from you and your goals and doesn't let you put forth your best efforts. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, so I'm on a podcast right now and I host a podcast at the Golfer's Journal, right? And um, I have a YouTube series and uh, I've been on other people's YouTube series and, and I watch other people's, you know. So, yeah, a lot of people are, are doing similar things in similar spaces. Um, what's cool is that people golfers are generally pretty content crazy you know when we're not playing we love to consume the game in all these different forms and i think younger millennial if you if you say golfers are are doing more of that you know golf's being consumed more in these probably more on these different platforms than it even is on the golf courses anymore so um there's a lot of room for us and and that's great and uh like i said if if, if as long as you're doing it's like a rising tide, as they say, it lifts all the boats. And if you're doing interesting things in golf um, and you're approaching it with an interesting point of view, that's good for everybody, right? Uh, you know, it, it, if, if someone's reading this book and it gets them into golf and so then they go look on whatever, you know, that website that sells a lot of books and sees my book there and says, oh, no, I'll try this one too. You know, whatever gets people, whatever gets you into golf and makes people care about golf, um, I'm all for that. Because even beyond the commercial aspect, it's just, you know, I want people to, golf's given me a ton. And, and you'd want anyone to sort of in, enjoy the game or be given all the stuff that, that golf's given to me or, or to you or to, to anyone who's, who loves it. Yeah, because, I mean, in the end, you just want to end up playing golf with cool people, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the bottom line. So if you're much, helping yeah. 
Yeah, if you're helping bring those people into the sport, I mean, that's a win for everybody. Exactly. I mean, the cool thing about, you know, in traveling America and, and just finding how strong the community is that's grown up around, um, that is growing up, I should say, around podcasts and YouTube and, and social media content, um, they're... They're younger golfers. They're into like, you know, boutique brands. They're really informed about architecture. You know, they're they're super interesting. And and that's like way different than what golfers look like twenty years ago. And uh, you know, it's it's a it's a good there's good stuff going on in golf. If you just measure golf's health by like country club memberships, yeah, of course it's down. But, you know, that I'd show up at some public course and thirty strangers would come out and join me. And I'm not famous and I'm not that, and like I said, I'm not that interesting. So that, that, that kind of community just pops up is amazing. And, and none of them were country club members and, and, um, and maybe, you know, they played once a week. Um, and, and that was, and, and that's, and that's great, but they're, but they're golf crazy and they're, and there are a lot of them. They're in every state, everywhere I went. You mentioned the golfer's journal before. Uh, you know, I'll admit I'm an enormous fan, listen to all the pods, literally have all the back issues on my podcast desk right now. Can you give us, yeah, I'm for sure. I mean, it's look, I mean, like you said, uh, I love golf. I love exceptional people writing about it, taking pictures of it. I like seeing it presented in new and different ways that maybe, you know, my own eyes wouldn't see. How did you get wrapped up with them? How did you get involved and then ultimately take over podcasting for them? Yeah. So, I mean, that's been one of the, well, certainly the most wonderful, positive experience I've had in any periodical publishing. You know, I've written for, and I've had good experiences at other magazines and newspapers too, but nothing like this. I mean, the Golfer's Journal is, is, been just an awesome experience um from top to bottom but it's funny when it started i mean travis hill the editor managing editor um approached me you know they were a year from a year out from really having a magazine and sort of broached the idea would you be interested um we'd like you know like you to be a contributor and uh you know, it's super flattering to be asked. And I remember talking to my agent about it and, uh, you know, we were looking at the, what they were doing. <laughs> we were like, uh, how the heck is this, you know, how is this going to work? Right. You know, subscriber only, no digit, no online. Right. You, you know, the stories, no website where you get the stories, print only quarterly, you know, uh, um, uh, a, a, a real subscription price. You, you know, it's not, um, it's not somehow I get all these golf magazines that show up at my house and I never paid for them. But the Golfer's <laughs> yeah. Journal isn't that, right? You know, the Golfer's yeah, it's Journal. Not, it's not 12 issues a year for four bucks. <laughs> it's, it's not that. Uh, it's, you know, you pay 75 bucks a year and you basically get like four books um, over the course of the year, plus all, all the other cool stuff that we do. Um, so that was like a, a total, totally different model. You know, minimal advertising. It's like, you know, how's this going to work, right? who knew how or if it was going to work, but I, I knew that I wanted to be a part of it because they basically they're offering me the chance to, to write real stories, to write long, you know, long form sports writing. You know, there are certainly places online that are, that are doing it, 
but gosh, I don't know where in print you're going to find, you know, maybe there's a few places, but it's rare to find a place where you can write, you know, a 4,000 word feature and, and see it in, in pink with beautiful and, and sorry, in print with beautiful art and, and hold it in your hands. And golfers journal is, is given all of its writers that chance and, and its readers that chance as well. So just incredibly grateful for it. Um, I've gotten a chance to, to, you know, they put me on the masthead as a senior writer, which is a, you know, just a personal thrill. I've kind of always been on my own and never been on a masthead before. So it just feels really cool to be part of a team and be consulted on editorial stuff. And it's, it's fantastic. And, and then the opportunity to take over, um, I mean, DJ Piowski did an awesome job on the, on the podcast for a while. And, uh, I was one of his first guests actually. So it was kind of funny to take over the other side of, of the microphone is DJ, um, you know, as things really started taking off for no laying up. Um, and, and I had the chance to, they were big shoes to fill, but, um, we've been able to, I think, dedicate, um, some more resources to it over the last, over the last year. And it's, uh, it's been really exciting. You know, the numbers have been great and, uh, and it's another chance to tell interesting stories. I mean, the great thing about the golfer's journal is that it's, it's, purpose its mission is to tell the stories you're not getting anywhere else um so that's challenging certainly to find those stories but it's also um it also means like when you how many times have i had an idea for a story where i thought damn if someone would just let me write this i could i could really make it compelling and mean something but you know such and such magazine or so and so magazine they're never going to take it it just doesn't fit what they do well, at the Golfer's Journal, that's what they're looking for, you know. So, that as a writer is is, is pretty uh, inspiring for sure. I want to ask you this question because I can't answer it. I haven't played golf overseas. I've played a ton in the U.S., a bunch of states. Obviously, not all fifty, but enough where I feel comfortable answering, let's say, U.S.-based golf questions. But one of the things I'm super curious about is. How you, someone that's that's literally engrossed themselves in the overseas culture and engrossed themselves in the U.S. golf culture, do you like the concept of golf more overseas as it fits into society there as compared to the U.S.? Or do you see the U.S. version of golf as something that kind of fits your personality better? Nope. It's better over there. <laughs> I don't I kind say of, that. As, I kind of figured yeah. that. <laughs> no, but you know, gosh, I mean, after eight months on the road in all fifty states, I could have been converted, right? Um, and I suppose to some extent, I have. But there's still just some fundamental things that they do better in the British Isles, you know, um, in the way that they approach the game. Uh, primary among them would be the accessibility, and I, and you know, I don't say like. I'm not doing this as like saying this is like a grass is always greener kind of thing or like, oh, America bashing is cool. Not at all. The, the, the point. But when it comes to golf, there are things that they're genuinely doing better. And and the fact that every golf course in Ireland and Scotland, you can play if you have a credit card, you can go play it. That's awesome. And that's obviously something we don't have here. Um, the thing, you know, their their notion of exclusivity, you know, the, the clubs themselves can be exclusive like yeah i can't join the royal and ancient and i can't join the honorable company of edinburgh golfers but 
I can play Muirfield and I can play St. Andrews. And, you know, the clubs are the, are the, the, the private things. The courses are playing fields. They're to be shared, you know, and, and oftentimes they're even really integral to the town where at a place like North Berwick or in La Hinch, like where the course like plays literally into the heart of the town. Um, it's pretty nerve wracking first tee when, uh, you know, when you're surrounded by like civilization, um, and people walking to work and doing, doing things. But that's, that's how like interwoven some of these courses are into the actual fabric of the towns or villages where they are. And that is just such a cool feeling. You know, it's so different than the sort of gated country club model, which I'm a member of a country club. Come clean on that. Absolutely. And it's great for my family. And it, I, I love the place. And it gives me a game every Saturday. And, and there are wonderful people there. But going over to Ireland and Scotland and finding courses that are not just for the people who happen to be members there, but everyone who lives in the town feels like they have a stake in the place. That's pretty profound. And, and I think it just has a different level of kind of like investment and interest in the golf course. You know, it, it means something, means something different. So, you know, that's, I think that's definitely something that, um, that they have, cause you know, golf over there started in a completely different way. It wasn't, um, I mean, it was a game of gentlemen and all this, but the best players, old Tom Moores and such, they were caddies. You know, they weren't like high class. They're working class guys. So there was sort of always a respect and appreciation um, for, you know, regular Joes playing golf. It was a game for everybody. When it comes to America, it's introduced by the elites. And, you know, whether that be um, at the St. Andrews Golf Club or at Chicago Golf or whatever, um, you know, the, the game was brought over from Scotland by some pretty well-to-do dudes who started playing it in clubs um, because America is sort of like changing and they want to like protect their sort of values and way of life. And so they, they played at clubs behind gates. And uh, so we just, the game started differently in the two different places. And, and that's why it's different today. They got a better way to start though. So for people in the U.S., let's say listeners of the podcast, readers of your book, people that may never travel overseas and kind of get to experience the way that golfers interwove into the community over there, besides Pinehurst, which I think is probably the most obvious example in the U.S. of a town that completely revolves around golf, what other places have you found traveling across America that kind of give off that that U.K. vibe, that Scottish vibe of, of uh, you know – the community completely embracing the game and then the game giving back to that community as well? Uh, that's a good question off the top of my head. Um, I mean, there are a lot of like great publics and munis that, that mean a lot to certain towns, whether that be Hart in Hartford, Connecticut, like Keeney park, um, it had that kind of vibe for me. Um, one that, stands out the most though would be the Gerhardt links in Gerhardt, Oregon, uh, which is, well, it feels Irish and Scottish cause it's, it's really linksy for sure. Um, close to the water and, um, place firm and fast and no trees and, and sort of a duny landscape, but it is, um, it's like a semi-private public golf course connected to, um, a hotel which with a huge bar and, and a big patio so it's like the hangout of the town as well 
and there's a little um and their halfway house is on the end of the property so people who aren't even playing but it's it's a big setup with a putting green so people come and hang out at the halfway house if they're golf whether they're golfing or not um or they come there in like february in the snow and start a fire and, and then i'll go inside and, and have it have a big night or something so that to me um it's really one of the places i, fe- I feature in the book and and because it has that really special authentic feeling and it's where the golf does spill over uh really nicely into the community um and people that are coming to have dinner or have drinks there or stay in the hotel or whatever you know they're all kind of wrapped up in it and all socializing together and it's it's all very very cool and very awesome for sure but then and you know yeah pinehurst is a golf village for sure there's other places where you go and you feel like this is just golf heaven you know bandon dunes has that feel to it and and all, any of those kaiser sort of retreats or, or stream song you go to those places and and they are their own sort of golf ecosystems for sure um they're not necessarily towns um but they are golf heavens nonetheless so before i get you out of here because i don't want to take up you know too much of your time tonight um what travel plans are are next for tom coin where 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 can we expect to see him after a course called america is all wrapped (laughs) up and published and you know packaged neatly and on everyone's shelves there you go well tomorrow i'm flying to kansas (laughs) city tomorrow i'm speaking at the kansas city country club um i do a lot of speaking events at uh courses and clubs and whatnot um so flying out to missouri tomorrow come back fly out down to the bahamas to do a little trip to see how things are going on down there um there's a lot of little trips here and there where we're featuring courses um for the Lynx life and then uh some big trips this summer ireland and scotland i, I still go back every every summer and, and host trips and, and spend a lot of time over there but in terms of what the next so i'm still racking up the frequent flyer miles um but in terms of what the next project is I can't say, <laughs> or maybe I won't say. Um, I'd like to do something where I'm uh, a little closer, where I'm doing most of the work, like a normal writer, right? Like I can just write work in my office, right? That's why when you become a writer, so you can sit at a desk and, and invent worlds. Um, and I've gone out and sort of found them, which is great, but it's just a lot of time away from home and kids. So maybe something a little closer to home, I'd say. All right, so maybe the definitive guide to, you know, golden era Philly golf courses. There you go. It would be a small market um, <laughs> that would buy the book. I might, I'd love to actually, I mean, I started as a fiction writer. My first book was a novel, a golf novel, and I'd, I'd love to go back to doing that. Or there's some characters in golf. I'd love to write, you know, their story as well. So, um, I mean, they, they're still going to be heavily, you know, researched stories. I just... In terms of the uh, the madcap golf odyssey adventure, you know, this has been a really nice, I think, trilogy, Scotland, Ireland, and America. Everyone's like, you got to do Australia. But um, that's far, man. Uh, <laughs> I did that flight once. I think that's a flight you do once in your life. So we'll see. It, it, might, it may be redundant for you to kind of let people know, you know, where to find you online, because I'm sure most people do already. But let people know where to find you online, how to get in touch with you yeah. and, uh, you know, how to purchase things. 
Yeah, absolutely. So get the books um, wherever books are sold, wherever you like to buy your books. Of course, called Scotland, of course, called Ireland, Paper Tiger, Gentleman's Game. Uh, you can follow me at CoinWriter, C-O-Y-N-E. That's Twitter and Instagram. And uh, website is TomCoin.com. You can click on that, contact, you can shoot me an email. And if you want me to come talk at your golf club or um, and it's definitely, you know, check out the Golfer's Journal podcast. That's a good listen. And, you know, once you're done listening to Leave the Pin, of course, um, check out the Golfer's Journal. And uh, The Lynx Life is on YouTube uh, now. So if you go on my, my YouTube page, uh, 11 pretty fun episodes of some of my travels around America uh, and some with some pretty interesting folks. So check it out. Yeah. And actually, speaking of Pinehurst, which we just talked about, the last uh, episode is Tom playing with uh, veterans at Pinehurst. So very apropos and, and, you know, very topical. Yeah, absolutely. That was a special day and, and got to hang out with some guys from the Veteran Golfers Association. And uh, yeah, that, that episode means a lot to me because of the friends that were in it. So hopefully some people will check it out. Very cool. Well, Tom, cannot thank you enough for stopping by. Had an absolute blast and honestly, uh, very excited for a course called America coming out. Dan, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun and uh, let's do it again when the, when the book comes out. Sounds good. All right, people. So either get busy golfing or get busy dying.